Good afternoon. It is a fine overcast day in Bristol on a Wednesday afternoon. It's currently 20 to 4, or you could say 15.41 GMT time. I've said Greenwich Mean Time time there. Um, (laughs) I am staring out my window, looking at my newly restrung acoustic guitar. And I have a lot to, not a lot to talk about, a fair amount to talk about today with my good friend, Martin Robinson, we are episode seven. How are we doing, Marv? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing very, very good. Um, I want to know what you've been playing on that guitar. What do you do when you restring a guitar, right? And you kind of it's feeling all good. You've you've stretched them all out. Everything's in tune. What's your go-to? What's the first thing you play? That's a really good question. That is a really good question. Um, I like to look at stuff with like um that I'm playing with my fingers rather than the pick. Uh, it makes me feel very connected to the instrument, very connected. Um, so whether it's like a, a very prompt on your own blues jam, something like that. Um, no, I enjoy doing things like that. I also, I also just play the things I've been able to play with my fingers since uni because, you know, I've only really been looking at picking patterns with my fingers rather than actual songs. Um, okay, okay. So yeah, I kind of go for something like that. Um, a bit of a bit of D, Randy Rhodes. Um, a bit of Is This the World We Created by Queen. Um, a bit of um, the intro of Diary of a Madman. Oh, we got Randy Rhodes there again. Lovely double uh, double feature. Double feature. But then let's be honest, he deserves it. If anyone does, he does. Yeah, but but uh, how's your week been, Marv? How's it been? How's it been? Give me the yeah. lowdown, kid. Pretty good. I mean, it's been like Groundhog Day every day, you know. Wake up, quarter five, go to work, go to work, smash it out of the park, have have lunch at half past nine in the morning and come home. And I've always got something else to do, which I don't mind. So grab some food quick, grab my dinner quick. And then, Sick. you know, I'm doing research for the podcast or trying to figure out um, some songs or trying to release my own stuff and trying to put, you know, doing posts and whatnot or doing errands, you know, the usual life stuff in the way. But I mean, it's been interesting. It's been pretty full on. I like it. Um, I can't wait till we can start gigging again. And it seems it's weird. I was thinking about I was thinking about a couple of days. And I was like, it's so weird to think of what our schedule was like. Where you kind of woke up if you're doing like a double gig, like two on two on the trot. You kind of wake up a reasonable time and then um, you know go play the gig. So we we would do like uh, a Zaza bar and then we do like a private wedding or something the next day. So you'd You'd wake up a nice time, be all nice and refreshed, go to the Zaza, play that till what, half 12, and then pack up, and you might be back home about two, half two, and then you might have to get out quite early, maybe even like have about four or five hours sleep to then drive, pick everyone up, even maybe go to the flat, um, and then maybe rehearse a couple of tunes before the wedding, maybe the first dance or something, um, drive all this, we get petrol, drive all this way, play loads of tunes in the van, uh, turn up, wait for ages, set up play the gig play the wedding it's all good and you get back and again i just it just took me right back to like half five in the morning the sun just barely coming up <laughs> and i'm there yeah. just trying to make sure i'm not running over any animals that are just darting across and finally getting home and like i'm still wearing yeah. a shirt and tie and i'm just and then i get home and i'm buzzed i'm just there like because you what know a gig like yeah yeah because yeah. we stop off at mcdonald's um sometimes sometimes and i just have other takeaways coffee. are available other takeaways are available so if any ta- other takeaways want to sponsor this show then hit us up chill hit grill us up. 
Chill, chill Grill, if you're chill listening. Chill Grill, that's a popular favourite for you, isn't it? <laughs> well, it was circa 2014 to 15. Um, I hope they haven't, but the amount I ordered from there tells me that they probably shut down by now. Ah, you keep them. Sad alive. story. A sad <laughs> oh, story. Well. Oh, well. Yeah, but I was just reminiscing. I was like, I can't wait to get back to gigging. It's going to be... It's going to be great. Um, it's going to be an insane schedule. It's going to be absolutely silly. Money is going to be flowing. I might just, do you know what I might do? I might just save it all up and put it in a bath and swim in it. Yeah, and then charge people to to watch that. Money yeah. makes money, my friend. Yeah, money absolutely. Money, you, friend. Hey, yeah. you got to do what you got to do to keep the wolf from the door. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, other than that, I've been really getting into this. Uh, I was trying to explain to you earlier. Um, I think it's called like Doomer music. Doomer so music. Yeah, I think it started on YouTube, and it's it's essentially people um, take a song, they slow it down so the pitch and the tempo goes down, and they just put reverb on it, so it sounds um, you just have a different result. And um, it uses like a meme of this guy who looks really really stoned, and he's got a cigarette hanging out and a beanie. So you've probably Amazing. seen that. But yeah, um, there's just so many things and some of them don't work. Some of them are a bit like, okay, this just sound, it sounds like someone's just sped something down. It doesn't connect. But then there's others like, um, I'll, I'll link it below, but black hole sun by sound slowed down and reverbed. Oh my imagine. Lord. Like the, just even the fact that, you know, when you slow things down on a computer or even speed stuff up, you have to get the chipmunk effect or it's really, really gloomy, really kind of like low. As we kind of found out on the episodes when you've used your pedal, you know. I've used the pedal, yeah. Exactly. But with this one, the way it fits Chris Cornell's voice, that it's not too low. It still sounds really, really rich and full. And it just sounds so heavy. And that, that tempo as well, like, I don't know what it is. I think it's really, really good. But I remember loading loads into my drum machine and having a go. So I've got a massive list. And all I need to do is just find a, find that picture of that stoned guy and then just upload him and stuff. But... Um, I'll send you some links. I'll put the Black Hole Sun link down because I just think it's cracking. I think it's great. Um, love that. Yeah, love that. That's cool. That I is very it. cool. So um, we're going to do something a little different, aren't we, this episode? We are. We are, yes. Usually we just pick a subject of why an album is bad um, and then we do some research. We find some albums that fit that criteria and, you know, Maybe me personally, what me personally, um, I like to try and find ones that maybe are considered bad or weak work, but then stand up and defend it and really listen to it and um, understand the point of view. And like we both said, we don't want to be too harsh on these pieces of work. And I've definitely felt like I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot yeah. from you. I've learned a lot from, you know, Jack, our last guest and people giving us comments and DMs and suggestions. Um, definitely. But I thought for this one, let's just do kind of a, you know. Bit of a simpler one. Bit of a simpler one, but just, you know, why don't we just talk about albums we love, you know, just just yeah. as a little kind of a experiment, really. And the thing is as well is that the same with the albums you love, the same as the albums you hate or don't like, they all kind of have the same criteria. Like, well, I love this album because it's the band. I love this album because of a certain time. I love this album because it's complex. And it, it hits exactly the same kind of reasons why. It's just the opposite effect. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to have a little discussion about that. And maybe we'll do a future one with, you know, like a kind of positive one. But um, yeah. 
this might just be the one-off kind of thing of it. So I asked you, and I asked myself, of course, our top five favorite albums of all time. Now, it was very, very hard to do because as we both found out, picking your top five albums doesn't match with your top five bands or artists of all time. They're, they're nope. To me, they're not mutually exclusive, James, all right? They don't <laughs> no, seem to not. mesh together. Um, so it was kind of interesting and it was kind of almost heartbreaking. It was almost like picking between my metaphorical children, which one I wanted to kind of keep in the house and which one had to be chucked out and get a bleeding job, all right? Get a job and start earning some bills, start paying some money, all right? Food ain't free. Yes. Uh, so I... I found the same thing, and in actual fact, um, I'm looking at my list right now and going, uh, nah, but what about this, and what about that, and shall I make it 1,200 favourite albums instead? Like, <laughs> um, This is going to be, for me, in no particular order. Obviously, we, we've already discussed that we're going to talk about ones that have shaped our play and loves at first listen, um, and also honourable mentions. Uh, that section could go on and on and on. That's true, but we we mentioned that <laughs> before we started recording. So yes. to elaborate, yes. we're going to talk about our top five briefly, and then we've got three. Uh, we'll, t- we'll talk about three specifically. So ones that shaped our musical playing, um, ones that were like love at first listen, and then we're going to talk about one that's not on the top five lists, but like a recent kind of loved classic that we really like this like maybe just come out or something like that so mez please take it away what is your top five in any order you want top five albums that you knuckled down to okay so as we've already said very very tough very hard um and please do not think i mean there there, there have been times where i've kind of just been cycling between these albums um just because i think they're fantastic i love them um so yeah, no particular order. I have Power Slave by Iron Maiden. Um, would you? I was going to say, Marv, would you like me to tell you a little bit about a particular album, or would you like me to just sort of all-inclusive this 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 particular section? What would you like me to do? I'll tell you what, we haven't got like a live poll to ask us, um, but I would say maybe just go go through them one by one. So okay. talk, tell me a little bit about Power Slave. Tell me why you like it. Um, obviously, if it's one of the ones that is going to be featured on later on, just kind of give a yes. brief summary. Um, but yeah, just kind of give me the brief kind of rundown yeah. synopsis. So this album for me, Power Slave, uh, 1984. Um, you know, it was it was obviously one of Maiden's, not earliest, but it's earlier works, you know. It's album... Um, Album number five, I believe. No, it's four. I've got that wrong already. That's good then. Um, good start. Good start. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant start. <laughs> um, yes, it is indeed. No, it is album number five. I was correct. I shouldn't doubt myself. You know, never doubt yourself, bud. Never oh, doubt yourself. Talked about this. Yes, <laughs> it's just it it blew me apart. Um, I remember listening to the Trooper early on, which is on the album before is the single of peace of mind and i remember seeing the artwork for power slave i don't know if you've seen it marv it's like a it's like a big um like pyramid with like the a a sphinx with eddie's head on it 
and yeah. all the hieroglyphics this is one of my favorite things all the hieroglyphics hide little like easter eggs there's like a doctor who tardis somewhere there's like um a little guy with his nose poking over a wall and his hands poking over with what no guinness written underneath it and stuff like that just <laughs> really cool little easter eggs um which which i i really like due to the fact that obviously it um I don't know. It reinforces the nature of the band that they don't take themselves too seriously. Um, yeah, every single song's a banger. I'm going to say that with absolute confidence. There are two instrumental tracks on it, despite it being an eight-track album. Um, yeah, the the title track, amazing, epic. It's it's one of the maiden epics, and then it ends with another maiden epic, a, a fan favorite, you know. It's just it's just so good. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And it heavily influenced my playing due to the fact that Dave Murray's guitar work on it is is superfluous. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's that's the first one. As I said, this list is in absolutely no particular order because if it was, I would not be able to decide anything. You'd be um, screaming into a pillow, and I'd be repeatedly going, like, "Come on, dude! Come on! Come on!" Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's Power Slave. Um, the second one is an album called "Making Movies" by Dire Straits, um, released in 1980, and this is just a lovely album. It is just a lovely album. Again, banger after banger. It just can't compare. And this album has a very deep connection with me. Um, the opening track is one called Tunnel of Love, which I know I've absolutely bombarded you with in the past. You have indeed. Um, I remember I was up at about four or five o'clock in the morning when I was sort of 16, 15 or 16. And it, uh, I, had, I had the telly on BBC4 and they had the old grey whistle test on. And um, the Tunnel of Love starts with like a, a really nice organ and piano intro. It's a very nice melody. And then it kicks into the song. And it's very, oh, it's just so well crafted. Martin Opfler is a genius. I, I think he's incredible as a, as a guitarist, musician, songwriter. I think he's fantastic. Um, what, about as a, what about as a lover? I don't know, but I'd love to find out. There we go, Martin Opfler. Any of, you, any of your peoples can get in contact. <laughs> James Merritt wants to know. He wants to know. Oh, yeah, I Jerry do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Tunnel of Love. Uh, I I feel like I'm going through a Tunnel of Love when I'm listening to this song. I just, I adore <laughs> it. Every single bit of it is eight minutes long um, for a band that are considered like pop, rock. That's that's a long track, but it's long fantastic. Boy. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. Um, you've also got, of course, the epic Romeo and Juliet. I love that tune. And every single one of the other five tracks I know you've never heard of, but uh, they're just fantastic. They're brilliant in the way they're crafted. The, the production's amazing. It's got that real dire straight sound. Um, what more could you want? Again, amazing work from, from Mark Knopfler. Um, the next would you, one, I'm gonna, would go you, on. would you kill me if um, I said that I heard the killers cover version of Romeo and Juliet first and that was the one I preferred for quite a while. Is that I, I wouldn't have killed you for saying it was the first one you heard. I would kill you for saying that you prefer it because you're wrong, mate. Oh, no. 
Um, so you can you can live with that as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so uh, the third one I'm going to mention is an obvious one. I've mentioned it probably about 20 times on this podcast already. It is uh, Queen 2 by Queen. It's my favorite Queen album. Um, I think it encapsulates everything to do with their sound in the sort of um, mid to late 70s, which is my favorite era of Queen. Um, And there's so much variety on it, so much variety uh, from from the big grandiose orchestral harmonized guitar intro on procession to the 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 hit single seven seas of rye um you know ogre battle is a personal favorite nevermore and of course one of my favorite ever songs the march of the black queen which i know i've also plagued you with multiple times um but that's that's what you do isn't it with your with your favorite songs you you just want to shove them in your mate's ears and go, please. In fact, here's a funny story. When we were last on tour in France, we were staying with our agents and such wonderful people they are. They Rich allowed us to give them a shout Rich out. Richard Ells. Richard yeah. from Apres Ski Bones. Wonderful people. Wonderful. wonderful. Um, a real sort of, um, a real warm welcome. We were staying in, in, in the house and, um, I just, I felt really at home. I felt really welcome, you know, and um, really fun people as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, really, Rich Owls really and people. Erica as well, I just remembered. Yes, yeah, Rich yes. Yeah. Um, but I remember we, we went out for a couple of couple of jars. A couple, and, um, yeah, a couple. couple. Only a couple. I could only handle a couple because of the altitude. But yeah, and we came back and I remember being sat in their front room with my laptop on their table in the front room. And I remember looking at you just it was almost like you told me that it wasn't but for some reason i was so determined to convince you that queen 2 was the best album of all time or something yeah. along those lines and i was like no 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 marv listen to you know your drug mate kind of no listen listen honestly listen to this and i was just doing that to you for probably about an hour or two i um, just i just remember sat there i think i was we uh I think our drummer had like cooked something or somebody had cooked something yes i remember eating yes. some like like tomato based bean thing and then your laptop's there and i just remember music coming from it and yeah. there wasn't no like hey marv come here you just started talking you're just yeah. like, <laughs> compl- like it's like the complexity of brian may's guitar like this is just like it's just nothing like it you know like all while rolling up like 50 fags it just <laughs> Yeah, it was like an emotional. It was an emotional yeah. talk. It was great. Oh, I still man. never listened to it. I I get like that when I drink, especially with music. It's just such a deep thing for me. Um, yeah, Queen Two. Nothing I can say bad about it. That was a terrible sentence, but it's it's out there now. That's the way it is. Um, the next one is one of a band I don't think we've discussed before. Um, it's Vulgar Display of Power by Pantera. One of the heaviest albums. Oh, so good. Oh, man. So like, good. I don't need to tell and anyone who knows Pantera, I don't need to tell them anything. They just changed the game, really. The perfect band at the perfect time. And this album solidifies their point in music history. Um, 1992, from the very, very get-go, Mouth for War, so, so aggressive, so angry, 
so f- like fast and hard hitting and heavy and oh man uh it's just it's just unbelievable i i can't even now despite the fact you know listening listening to it about a million times i just i still can't get over it um of course the legend of dimebag's guitar work the the incredible virtuosity the man had, um, the simplistic drum patterns that just worked so effortlessly, the roaring bass, and Anselmo, oh man, they they were just perfect in my eyes at this point. A couple of fillers, very few though. I I don't call them fillers. I just know a lot of people who do, uh, and sod them, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but yeah. Amazing. Absolutely incredible. If you like hard-hitting metal, if you don't know Pantera, go and listen to the Vulgar Display of Power. It it's is... going to blow your socks off if you've never heard it, Pantera before. Oh, man. It's going to rip you a new one. Um, yeah, I. so that rounds off my list quite nicely because the final one on my top five is Master of Reality by Black Sabbath. Um, we have spoken about Sabbath in general and this album countless times, countless times. It just goes on and on and on. Mm. But I think it deserves it. I think it deserves it. In actual fact, I nearly said the the uh, only reason for me picking this album was actually just going to be because of Into the Void. That was that was going to be the only reason. Um, that riff, man. That riff. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know why. It just it grabs me by the unmentionables every time. And... It's it's like a six minute long song, and at the end of it, I'll just happily just put it back on again. I don't care. I I think it's brilliant. Obviously, you've got Children of the Grave as well. That I remember when I was younger, I uh, used to have a PS2, and I was playing. Um, oh, I can't think of the game now. It's um, I'm gonna have a little checkeroo on that. But have the a little game, check-a-roo. I'm gonna have a little checkeroo. Well, I I remember this. I remember hearing Rob Zombie for the first time playing this um, snow skiing game, and I just remember okay. loving the snow skiing game loads. And I was every time I hear Rob Zombie, I just think of that. I never got into Rob Zombie stuff, but like that's what I just yeah. remember. I just remember that. Yeah, yeah. And Song Two by Blur being on FIFA '98 on Nintendo 64. Okay, okay. It is kind of strange where these come from. I found it by the way. Um, oh, nice. The game was called Brutal Legend. Um, the main character was voiced by Jack Black, so that's all you really need to know. It's about a guy who like basically gets transported back in time, and um, there's all these monsters trying to kill him, but if you play a guitar solo, it'll like, electrocute them and kill them. <laughs> and he's got this massive axe. It's all very like heavily metal-centered. Um, but I remember there's a scene in the intro where you're like driving away from this creature in a car, and... I'll never ever forget to this day. There was just like a, and I was like, "What's that?" And then it kicks in, and I was like, "Good lord, what is that?" Obviously, it's Children of the Grave, and again, blew me away. Absolutely killed me. Um, made me see music in a whole different light, um, and it was never the same again. Did you complete the game? Yes, I did. I did complete it multiple times. Good lad. Um, Good lad. Then they added online play, which was interesting. Um, I usually lost, but no, that's 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 another thing altogether. Yeah, that was released in '71. So when I think about how heavy that album is, it, it, in certain points, it's like you said with Sheer Heart Attack, 
last week or the week before, week before, I think, um, you were shocked at like Brighton Rock with like the, the low chugging speed of it all. Um, yeah. That's how I see Children of the Grave. Like, it's just heavy. It's just so heavy, especially for 71. So heavy. Um, but that's Sabbath for you. If you've, if you've never heard of Sabbath, I implore you, stop listening to this podcast and put on Master of Reality. You gotta start at now. the beginning. In fact, I'd just say I'd, I'd say go for the self-titled. Oh, just start from the beginning. Yeah, just go right from the beginning. Start at the beginning. Just let your Spotify play and play and play, and then yep. wait till you get to a, to a bad tune, which is going to be a very, very, very long time. Yeah, you're going to be there for a while. <laughs> for a long while. And that's a good. Um, but yeah, that's that's my list. Um, I'll talk about my honourable mentions a little bit in a in a little while. Because I want to hear your list, Marv. Nice. I think it's interesting yours range from 71 to 92. That's your earliest to latest kind of thing. Um, And all rock-based as well. That's another thing I was thinking. All of them, yeah. I was like, I like, you know, I I love rap and hip-hop. And I I love dance. And, you know, know, other genres are available. But, like, it was so hard to whittle them down. I had to just be honest with myself. But, yes, so my picks in no particular order i do have a number one which i'll leave to the end but um i've got and justice for all by metallica um, classic 1988 just the fact that that was the, one of the first metallica albums i ever heard along with ride the lightning and i can just remember every single song and they're just ingrained in me <clears throat> and i almost view it like it's one step above you know when you just you know when just songs and bands are around you in your life, you don't even have to like yeah. search them out, they're just there. This is like one step above that, or one step below it per se. Like <clears throat> I so I you know, I it was actually the Murphys. The Murphy twins are my like dearest, dearest best friends, brothers basically. Um it feel, feels weird now saying that we used to sit around a boom box and listen to rock music because they got me into so much hip hop and we listened to rap and hip hop together. Yeah. That it just seems weird to like that I was going to sit down with Dan and Bump Metallica and Hooverstank and Fear Factory, but yeah, it's one of the albums we listen to, and I love it. I love it dearly. I think it's just, I think it's, it's definitely my favorite Metallica album, and maybe I would say it's their peak. I would say it's definitely in terms of their peak. It, it compared to Black Album, I pick this every single time, um, but. That's okay. a whole other episode for a whole other yeah. day. Yeah, it really is. People, so I'm not going to get there anyway. Um, Revolver, The Beatles. Um, Amazing. August 66. Uh, just completely blew my mind. Um, I remember my Beatles phase started at probably about 17, actually. <clears throat> and the first time I heard Tomorrow Never Knows was on a skate uh, DVD. It's like a skate edit. And it was uh, the Habitat team skating in england they're like an american skate team so i don't know whether because they were skating and they put a beatles song on um obviously unlicensed but that was just the way skate videos were back in those days in the mid noughties and i loved that i was like what's this and my mum's like i think it's the beatles and i'm like oh rifle through find revolver and go oh it's that song and then listen to the album it's like it's insane and what what uh surprises me even more is you think about four years before this or even three years before this they were doing She Loves You. So in three years, they've gone from like teeny bop pop to just this album. 
incredible unbelievable absolutely incredible um another beatles one hard day's night now this one's going to be my um shape and my playing pick but i adore this album it's my favorite from the early era of the beatles this is my favorite one i think the the track listing is great i think the order of the songs are great um it's the only it's the only beatles album where it's just lennon mccartney songs i don't um, they never ever did that ever again yep um even the george so i think george harrison sings on one of them and that was written for him um even though he, he started writing the album before but great just just a great album just really solid good pop songs great structures um deceptively tricky passages like playing wise and really intelligent songwriting i just I, i'd almost it's like again if someone goes well i've never heard the beatles before how do i get into them you'd assume okay they probably they probably know a lot of the hits so you go go to that one album listen to all the number one singles i would then go right start early i would either go go to hard day's night because it's more fully formed than their debut then go to the debut you can leave with the beatles and beatles to sell can kind of come afterwards but hard day's night absolutely lovely absolutely lovely um next one is peripheral vision by turnover and this was released in may 2015 so for me fairly recent um i definitely stuck in a kind of a old school rut in terms of my musical knowledge i feel like i'm quite knowledgeable up to a certain point um and then yeah i just i guess i was too obsessed with trying to get all the greats out of the way and dig deep into those catalogs um and then not seeing things like this but um yeah i just I, the I heard this and I was like, this is amazing. This is perfect. Everything that I, it was everything I wanted an album to be and of that genre and what almost I wanted my music to be that I was trying to make at the time and still try and make now, especially in terms of its guitar work. And it really helped me open my mind more to simplicity and paring down uh, instruments and paring down things to just get the nicest, rawest, um most impactful kind of um parts and i just adore it i just think it's great i got the hoodie um i've seen them three times i need to see them every time they come to bristol i just want to go see them um they're great they're great um i would definitely fish that one out and that's four isn't it so my last one is this is my has to be my favorite album i spoke about before but pinkerton by weezer september 96 um just so 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 good i do agree that um it's definitely like an album that you go into as like a phase a bit like kind of emo and stuff like this which just had a hand apparently had a hand in kind of creating emo but um just the way i connected to it so much and then when i you know read up more about Weezer and rivers cuomo and things that he went through and you know a lot of the issues the topics on this album related to me quite a lot of that time um it just hit the hit it was the right album at the right time and it just hit the spot dearly um but not when i was seven when it came out but that would have been interesting um yeah i could just go on i could go on for days about these albums but as we both know we don't want to keep doing that so we're going to try and be more concise as we can um any honorable mentions because my so going back to the kind of albums and artists lists they're kind of hard um it's, it's, it's so hard because you're, you know, ch the Chili Peppers for me, right? They're a big, huge, 
fundamental band for me growing up learning guitar they were the basis of like how i played guitar um i learned i've learned like pretty much all their songs but i wouldn't put any of their albums in my top five they got some stellar work but i I don't know what it is i just don't i don't there's maybe I, i can't answer it i can't answer it. i just think that sometimes you have certain bands that you just love everything about them but like and the albums are great but then you compare it against other things and you think well like no like maybe there's a couple of songs here or there or actually if i really think about it it didn't really impact my life hugely or or maybe they did again i feel like i'm contradicting myself it's, it's a hard question to ask um so i'll ask you the question and i'll also say like i was shocked to not see any status quo on yours because status quo definitely seemed to be one of your favorite bands maybe still are one of your favorite bands and they were so pivotal for pivotal for you growing up like you mentioned going to see your first gig and everything about the guitar playing so what do you kind of make of this you know the fact that status quo is not on your list of albums but you certainly love their albums like how how would you equate this for me so it's it's really difficult um i kind of put it towards what um if i if i had to i don't know pick five that i've got to listen to um before i die you know and i kind of like doing that but at the same time with the amount of music that i enjoy and i know it's the same for you it's really really hard to do that um really hard yes status quo were incredibly pivotable pivotable i've gone with there pivotal put that on a t-shirt yeah for sure incredibly pivotal in shaping me as a player my earliest songs learning were status quo songs um and it's kind of nice now because i could just go back and rather than being like oh there's no tab for that i could just go what does it sound like sounds like that da, 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 da. yeah okay um the one album i will put above any other quo album is uh one called pile driver that's an honorable mention um it just again i know i keep saying it but it just blew me away i heard it and nothing was the same nothing was the same um there's a tune on there called big fat mama and it is fast it is heavy it is just everything that like their sort of boogie rock era encapsulates um it's like i said it's just fantastic it's absolutely brilliant there's an incredible extended solo at the end which i know for a fact was improvised and what a job francis rossi did on it incredibly underrated guitarist so good i agree um i've seen plenty of interviews where it's kind of like oh he's got this real sort of like italian blue style of blah 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 no he's just super good he's super cheeky and even now i haven't learned very many of his solos but even now i if i'm playing a solo i find i find those lines sneaking in that cheeky sort of bluesy sort of it's not like pure blues but it's not like pure like rock lee playing there's just it's somewhere in between it's really cheeky um and i i i love that about him um and obviously his whole personality and everything so yeah paul driver it would be on the list, um, but like I said, I also think I also believe that you should talk about the albums that you keep going back to at the moment, or in this phase of your life, which definitely for me, those five are ones that I ones that I go back to. Um, 
quite here's a question i could interject in what if i could if you put power driver by status quo up against uh iron maiden power slave what what elements do power slave what elements does power slave have or what things that have for it that trump power driver even though you both regard them as albums that you love how come you know what's the matchup there I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really difficult. Um, they're obviously both. You could pigeonhole them in the both sort of hard rock metal category, but there's just something about something in Dave Murray and Adrian Smith's relationship, guitar wise. It seems so much more expressive um, than the Maiden stuff. And that's not to, even though I've just gone on expansively and talked about Francis's lead playing, um, that's kind of how I hear it. It's very, um, very, very synchronized. Um, the uh, title track, Power Slave, there, there's a, so it's, it's, it's a triplet riff. In fact, anybody who follows me on Instagram, um, I've I've done a video of that riff. And it does, it sounds like one guitar. That's how good it is. It sounds like one guitar. And yeah, I don't know. It's just much more of a journey, in my opinion. Much more of a journey. Um, And the whole package just hooks you in, in my opinion. That's what I think. Um, But again, Pile Driver is never at the bottom of my pile, ironically. Um, It's really hard to equate. Stuff that you heard as a child. I mean, that's, that's where my relationship with Queen comes from. Stuff... I, I I was growing up listening to you know, um, but yeah I I think that's what it is. I think it's just so much more expansive and expressive um, than Pile Driver, and it also, as much as Quo inspired me to pick the instrument up, I took so much more from Power Slave. The the triplet riffs, the Aeolian solos. Um, the harmonized melodies, that's always been a big thing for me in Maiden. The harmonized melody like breaks. Um and I, I I love that. I think that's fantastic. I think it's very, very good. I mean I don't need to sit here and tell you how good Iron Maiden is, Marv. Would you would you say you got more out of it, uh just uh, overall in everything, like you're playing and from a listener's perspective, that's why it got into the spot? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um also, it, I've never been much very obsessed with things, but certain like mythological things, the whole theme of Power Slave is, is a concept album on like ancient Egypt I've, with, with various things like intertwined. Mm. Um, and I, I love the whole concept of ancient Egypt, even the album artwork, which a lot of people would look at and probably laugh but when i first heard it i did not laugh i was like this is incredible this is amazing you know and yeah i think i think the whole overall experience of it sort of impacted on me maybe slightly not slightly more as such but i don't know i don't really know how to how to put it to be honest with you a child that grew up and enjoying will young and shaggy uh <laughs> and then then discovered paul driver um yeah, it's really, it's really, really hard to put it in. It's really hard to put it in. I mean, it's like I said to you, I was surprised. No Sabbath major list, no Fleetwood Mac major list. Um, yeah, again, because I love those bands dearly, and some of their, you know, their some of their albums are like some 
some great work that I've listened to and um, you know I could have put rumors in the top five quite easily but you know I wanted to put in maybe Peter Green stuff but then I like them play on I think it's an amazing album but if I was to compare it against them like Revolver or even Peripheral Vision um, I, I don't know it just it maybe as an album as a whole it just didn't live up to it it didn't it didn't have the uh the staying power all the way through if i'm looking at them play on and peripheral vision um but if i was to pick between turnover and fleetwood mac it'd be fleetwood mac every single time it's very yeah. very strange um i don't know why that is um i i would assume this is kind of maybe true for maybe true for everybody i'm not too sure i'd like to kind of know really that do do your you know do people's best albums you know top albums that they like are they usually from their favorite bands of all time? And do they all kind of stack up identically? Um, but again, this is, this is why, you know, a collection of songs in an album, um, that's quite a hard feat to pull off in itself. You can have a couple of good songs. Um, I definitely know bands. I definitely know of bands that where I like their singles, but never bought an album or maybe like a handful of their songs and have never wanted to try and pick anything up of theirs. Um, but maybe missing out. Who knows? Maybe it's just how you listen to stuff. But obviously now with Spotify and streaming things, you've got, you don't need the albums. You can just go, this is Muse, you know, this is Rage Against the Machine and you can just view it all as one. Uh, maybe that's what it is. But yeah, so I tell you what we'll do. We're, we're going to do three categories. So we'll do the music, the albums that shaped our playing. So like our musical playing and guitar fiddling and piano and whatever else you wanted to say um so we'll go with that one first so mez i feeling i have a feeling yours is gonna be power slave so we're kind of continuing on but yeah tell us your um album that shaped your playing out of those so yeah you're right it is power slave it is bad for me <laughs> uh when you get to a thousand points you win a prize nice um, everything about it growing up being a metal guitarist um, this album was most of that, most of the reason why. Um, and it was quite funny. I remember at college, uh, quite early on, it, uh, I remember people around me listening to things that were heavier, always heavier, always faster. And I didn't care. Um, in fact, I remember at one point, the other guitarist in my band, listen to uh the title track power slave which is um it's in a particular scale that makes it sound very middle eastern um and he he kind of laughed and said oh that just sounds really happy and it doesn't it doesn't sound happy at all i was actually furious with him at this point um and i he was like, all right it doesn't sound happy, but it sounds cute though doesn't it and it, it I just kind of didn't care. I wasn't bothered because this album meant so much to me and it gave me so much that it was just it was just pure gold in my eyes. Absolute gold. And from from the very get-go, you've got Aces High. Um, so I've said this is a concept album. Most of the songs, most of the songs revolve around the concept. Um, but there are some that don't. Aces High... Is about a um, is about a pilot during the war, basically. Um, but it's fast. The, the harmonised lead guitars, um, 
no rhythm guitar under him either. Steve Harris on bass is, is pulling all of that. He's doing it all. Um, and the drums, Nico McBrain, it was, he's got such a specific drum style. And I've always loved the way it sounds live and in the studio. He, he uh, uses a technique where instead of using the beater on a drumstick, he spins it around, he uses the handle. Um, okay. they, nick- they nicknamed him Boomer for a long time. <laughs> um, because he, it, 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 his drum sound is, is huge. It's very, very big and it's very cool. Um, and the guy's in his like mid-70s, I think. And he's still, he's still going away at it. He just, I'm fantastic. Um, yeah, Two Minutes to Midnight is a classic. I'm sure you know that one. Um, a lot of people know that one very, very well. That's about the threat of a nuclear attack. Um, more or less. Um, then you've got Lost for Words, Big Aura, our first instrumental, which kind of takes you into the sort of ancient Egypt theme. Flash of the Blade, a very, very cool tune about growing up and fighting with swords and things. Uh, <laughs> the Duelists, the other, um, the other instrumental. Again, it's great. It's uh, it's six minutes long, but it's still great. I love it. Then you've got um, the absolute powerhouse back end of this album. Uh, you've got Back in the Village, which is, I, I'm trying to think necessarily what it's about now. I can't quite remember, but that takes you sort of back. It's, it's almost, it's almost uh, deserves to be in that sort of 90s jokey phase that Maiden have. It has that real vibe about it where they're not taking themselves too seriously, but it's yeah. still great, fantastic. You've got the incomparable Power Slave, which I can't describe. You need to go and listen to it. Then you've got the 13-minute long Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is mm. which is based on the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Um, but yeah, absolutely incredible. It just it took me into another universe. I'd never heard anything like it before. Uh, and Maiden have a real good tendency of doing things like that. I'd heard the Trooper, but it was it was another facet. Um, yeah, it's just a trademark sound. You can identify who it is immediately. And that's that's all I really have to say about it. You need to go and listen to it to anyone who so, has. Um, yeah, I, I need to listen to it. I think I remember listening to maybe maybe the first side with you in uni when you got the vinyl. Um, yeah. Well, you had the, you brought the vinyl around. But in terms of your guitar playing, what did this album do to you in terms of your guitar playing? Now, I know that when I hear you solo and every time I dip my toe into Iron Maiden, I can then hear the phrases of Dave Murray and maybe even Adrian Smith at some points, um, two guitarists in Maiden or two out of three. Um, the other one being Yannick Gears. See, I remember things that you tell me. Yeah, but he's not on this album, Mark. Oh, well, I knew that. Yeah, that's gonna, don't make me look stupid in front of everyone, all right, mate? I know what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, I, I can hear more of the licks that you play or certain phrases that you use or certain bends even. Um, and I think it directly comes from um, Maiden, even maybe this album. But in terms of your guitar playing, um, what did this album do to shape that? It made me faster, for a start. Um, it made me love writing riffs with triplets. It made it blew the doors open on lots of different scales. So the Middle Eastern sounded scale I mentioned earlier which I'm describing for the benefit of our audience who may or may not 
know of a scale um, called uh, Phrygian Dominant. Um, it's basically just a scale that sounds very sort of Middle Eastern and evil. It opened doors to that. Um, and I also really got into doing legato runs, which is basically you pick once and you let your your, your left hand do the work. Your, 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 your fingers are moving on the frets rather than you're picking every single time. You're, it's like hammering on. Um, that really became a, a major theme in my playing after this album. Um, because Dave Murray uses it quite simply. This was the album I decided that Dave Murray was my favorite at that point. Um, and he still very much is in, in my top influences without a shadow of a doubt. Um, he doesn't write as much as people think he does. He doesn't write as many songs as Adrian does, but I don't really think that matters. I think what he brings to the table is, is more than exemplary in my opinion. Uh, and that's right from the early work, even right up to now. He he's just consistently good. So that's what I took. Yeah. That's what I took from it. Nice, yeah. And again, um, you know, I definitely think for you, Iron Maiden maybe was the gateway band then into getting into other artists, and you then, I think, every time you tack on a new technique that you find somewhere else or or refine up when you're at your rawest and you're just soloing improvised over, you know, just E or someone like that, you know, and we're playing <laughs> like I, I can then see the cogs turn and I can see those little Dave Murray isms. Um, and yeah, again, I watched you do the trooper twice. Well, actually I didn't see you do the first time, but I seen you do no. the trooper for your, one of your last assessments. And it was just, it was like autopilot. You were just yeah. in the zone and you were just absolutely like just feeling every single note. I could just tell. I could just tell. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is like that with a, with a band, especially with one that someone's had a relationship with as long as I have with Iron Maiden. Um, and, you know, sometimes the mick gets taken. Oh, what do you want to listen to? The merit Iron Maiden, is it? It's like, well, I'm not being funny, mate, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have How many? How many maiden shirts you got currently? Actually, I think I got about five, which isn't yeah, a huge yeah, amount. It's not a huge amount. I'd say it's more than the average bear in terms of yes, um, who would have a, the picnic baskets. But but I don't yeah. I don't really do. Uh, I don't know. I know loads of people who who will go out and buy as much merch as humanly possible, and I love them for that because they're supporting the band and they're showing their love for it. I. Uh, I don't know. I kind of got out of the band shirts. I still wear them, but I don't wear them as much as I used to. As you know, Marv, I'm more of a disgusting shirt kind of individual. You have been um, getting into like uh, bird shirts or animal shirts that like hideous. You're basically, you're basically turning into Winston from New Girl. So go okay. watch season five of New Girl, and you'll know exactly what I'm on about. Um, I might. Have you seen Maiden Live? Five times, and every time is great. Every time, consistently good. Solid. Love that. Love that. Um, yeah, my one that shaped my musical playing is going to be Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. Um, I remember getting my first guitar. When I was about 17. Um, it was from a shop in Trowbridge. It was open. Uh, I think it might be called Wilkes School of Music. Interesting. And it was an encore acoustic. 
and I remember again. I remember having an Arsenal shirt, and I think I was skating, and I went to go buy it um, with my friend Joe O'Connell, who's a very very good guitar player. He went to BIM as well, and he was in a band called Jupiter's Carnival um, with my other friend Toby Robel, who's now in Weather State, and they're doing very very well. They did like an O2 interview recently. It's pretty pretty funny. Oh, cool. Um, and oh, he was in Jupiter's Carnival as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, get on with it, boy. <laughs> um, so I remember buying the guitar and I think I ever haggled him down because I only had 70, 80 quid. I think I had 80 quid, but I remember, I think I'd either asked him beforehand, is that enough for the acoustic? And he went, yeah. So he then gave me a gig bag, a pick in the acoustic. And when he was, he was like, right. So that's the acoustic guitar, the gig bag and the pick for 80 quid. Like, and he said it in a way that he's almost felt a bit begrudging of giving it to me. But I remember the time being like, well, I didn't ask you to do that. I just asked <laughs> if the guitar was there. Like, maybe I got it wrong, but yeah, he just seemed very begrudging to give it to me. But I got it. And then my friend Joe was like, yeah, it feels good, whatever. And I learned so much on that acoustic. I learned so much. And um, I played piano first when I was eight. And I didn't take any lessons. I didn't, you know, purely self-taught. It was just from ear, just from trying to figure out things. Um. And I would learn like, I would try to learn songs by ear or guitar parts and all these kind of things. It was my only source of trying to learn stuff or trying to play stuff. So with, when I learned guitar, I was like, right, I'm going to start from the beginning. I've got guitar for dummies, as simple as it got. But I was like, right, I'm determined to get all of the tools, all of the, the skills in my bag. And then I'll go do stuff. I'll go play some songs. I remember looking at the little cheat sheet, going through D to A to E major and eventually getting that and that was hard and then trying to do d major to g major and thinking this is impossible i don't know how how do you get all your fingers because you know the d chord has three of your fingers the g chord um mainly you can use all four of your fingers there are different ways to play it but to try and do the full versions it just seemed absolutely impossible and you go as slow as you can and then you get onto the c chord now we both taught music <laughs> two kids and adults and it's such an exciting time when they're, they're just getting those chords and you see the light go up and you're like, this is so great. Well done. You're, you're doing amazing. Well done. And they've got the calluses and they're, they're just changing chords and then you wanna, they want to play a C chord. Yeah, they're bringing a song that has that and you try to teach them a C and you can just see their poor little hands, old and young, just, just crumble. Just It can happen. And you think, that's when you think, okay, I can't play guitar. I clearly can't. My, my body's not used to it. But then slowly but surely, your, your your hands start to stretch, your muscles start to get looser and firmer. And then, yeah, you're just playing along. So was getting through that a lot and learning how to play with a pick, learning how to play with fingers. And I just wanted to get all these chords up together. And then I started jumping into songs. And this coincided with my Beatles explosion, my Beatles kind of a, a phase. And I was very much into, I was very much the ultimate guitar tab uh, person at this time. Just yeah, want, we've I, all done it. I, we've all yeah, done it. Would save all those tabs into folders on my laptop, Beatles, the Smiths, Chili Peppers, all these things. Um, and I liked a hard day's night before I even learned how to play guitar. So I wanted to go through it. And oh, mate, just just the the chords themselves, they, they, all, they pretty much use all the simple open chords that you play on a guitar. So that's for non non guitar players, that's the chords that you utilize the open notes the open strings and you maybe fret like um three of the note three of the strings 
Um, they're big, open kind of ones. Very singer-songwriter kind of way of doing it. Um, but yeah, all the way through this album, like just the progressions are really, really good. And it really taught me a lot about songwriting, effective songwriting, using simple chords. Um, and then later on, you know, understanding more about melody and going, wow, that makes so much sense. And the way that the way that note that he's sung there has, has gone over this chord. So effective, so good. Um, but then also it's quite com- it has some complexities in it. So um, something like they use the they use the flat four chord quite a lot or the minor four. Nice. Chord. So yeah, something like if I fell, which again, that was the first time I really kind of got into like modulating. At the start of that song, John Lennon's already modulated before he's got into the key of D major. Um, and getting used to those chord shapes, so like going away from those open shapes and moving up the neck where you kind of get into this weird Bermuda Triangle territory where you're like, I'm completely lost. Yeah. Um, I remember the intro took me a while to get. I couldn't play the intro. I'd wait to till the actual verse kicked in. But um, yeah, just the very good utilization of that minor four chord. So in D major, he would go to G and then he'd play a G minor. And it was really, really effective. And it really suited the mood of that song. And the track five and i love her does the same thing it does the g minor chord near the end to go into d major um sorry that is actually if i fell if i fell does that um and i love her doesn't do that i've i've misconstrued that there because there's another point i was going to say now if i fell in love you ends does g minor then to d and it's really effective uh kind of has a bit of a nice melancholy feel to it um and Again, Things We Said Today and I'll Be Back, um, two songs on the other side too. They do this, they do the um, parallel major and minor thing. So what that means is um, they're both in the key of A minor, but what they keep doing is whenever they go back to the A minor chord or the A, the home note, they'll change it to A major. So it's quite a weird uplifting kind of thing to hear. Um and it's really, really effective, really, really effective. So learning those little tricks that you don't need to learn these complex sharp 11 sideways, upside down from me to you. Is that you, Shad Rat Chords? Um, shout out to Marcus Rudd. Um, that, you know, you can still make amazing, beautiful music. Yeah, you can. And, and that's that's one of the things I love about the Beatles. Um, coupled with the fact that you don't actually realize how complex quite a lot of the parts are. Um I saw her standing there. Harrison's part in that is mad. Yeah. It's it's mad. I know that's sorry, that's not on the album you're talking about, but <laughs> it's it's early Beatles, that's my example of early Beatles, and it's it's mental. Absolutely crazy. But I suppose that shows the uh the skill and talent they had. Exactly, exactly. And I think for this album, a good example of that is like a Hard Day's Night, that guitar solo. Um, yeah. Just the, the it's very fast. For me, it's quite fast. It's quite fiddly to get it to yeah. sound good. Um, and George Harrison's playing on And I Love Her, the solo of that. Um, that does a thing where this, it modulates, changes key for the solo. And his playing is so nice. And um, every time I play it, it's definitely one of those solos where I don't, I can't necessarily, I'm not thinking, oh, it's this shape or it derives from this scale pattern that I can visualize my fingers. I'm just following the notes. I'm singing the melody, following the notes, and it's just perfectly well written. And the solo in I Should Have Known Better, where 
um, that was the first time I kind of learned about like chord substitutions. So what I mean by that there is that playing a chord on top of a chord which is already playing and kind of you're mushing them together and combining like a big chord. So at the end of I Should Have Known Better, John Lennon's playing a G chord. George Harrison bass plays the verse melody on a guitar solo, but he ends on an E minor. So for me, that was mind blowing because I was like, you can't do that. You can't, you can't play a chord that someone else isn't playing. That makes no, chuck it in the bin, start again. Um, but what you find out and you learn a bit of theory is that you play the E minor chord, which is the notes E, G and B. And then you play the G major chord, which is G, B and D. And what you're doing is you're adding, um, you're adding like a color to it. So you add this like sick. So it makes a G six chord. Um, and it just sat, it just, it, oh, it's lovely, especially for the sixties where like a ending on a, a sixth chord, um, was very, very popular to do. It just, it capped it off perfectly. And yeah, then the more I learned theory and gone, Oh yeah, I could do that. Or, Oh, I knew that actually. And it was from that song. Like this, this album just, it keeps, it keeps me learning all the time. Every time I go to it, obviously we can't forget the first chord we hear on the whole album, the hard days night chord itself shrouded in mystery trying to, you know, I thought I knew what exactly what it was and I play and it sounds right, but there's so many other elements to it. That's so interesting that, uh, you know, even an album from, from way back when 64, you know, that, that, that chord is still contested now. Like I would say that we, we've got a lot more information now. People can recreate it, but it's still very, very like, Oh, it could be this. It could be that. Um, so yeah, this really kind of solidified my guitar playing and I would sit there and I remember I remember the first couple of times I could play it all the way through with like not a lot of mistakes, um, maybe getting some of the lead lines right and that was the jumping off point then. And then I just dove into Chili Peppers, other Beatles albums and just got my chords down. I remember getting, um, changing chords to a B7 chord specifically on some of these songs here, especially on like I Should Have Known Better. That was really hard to do. It's really hard to like finagle my fingers there, but I did it. Um, and yeah, you know, writing songs myself, like you, like you writing songs um, or writing songs with other bands, this definitely taught me a lot. So what's interesting as well, just for the album, is that I uh, the, the a lot of the tracks mirror each other. So the first two tracks, Hard Day's Night and I Should Have Known Better, both in the same key. Then you've got If I Fail and And I Love Her which both, uh, I don't know, they both had the same the same chord structures. Um, and I quite like that they kind of talk to each other there. Um, I'm Happy Just to Dance With You sounds really surfy. Um, and I think Tell Me Why has a surfy uh, guitar break as well, or a, even just a surfy sound to it. Can't Buy Me Love, of course. Really, 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 really good. Really bluesy kind of song. Um and things like, so I'll cry instead is quite country esque. Um, I know that John Lennon didn't really think anything of the song. Uh, maybe that's the weakest one on this record, um, even though I think it's quite good. And it's only a minute forty four in length. Um, things we said today and I'll be back both do the uh, both in the key of A minor and they both do the parallel major trick of going to A major sometimes. Um, I just think, I just think it's great. I think it's. Um, I think it's the height of their pop songwriting in that early, early days. And I learned so much from it and I want to go back. I listened to it again. And I was like, it's, it's just, just as good as I remember it. 
so i can't wait to sit down and play along with it um and anyone who's a anyone who's a songwriter or a musician in general i would say go to this album and really just study it study the chord progressions study the little melodies study the solos how they're played uh you just won't be disappointed i think it's great i think it's awesome i love that i love that i love the depth um as i've mentioned before my love for the beatles is boundless it goes on and on and on um i'm gonna revisit that one this week do it i'm gonna revisit it um because i have obviously listened to it uh i've been on the later end of the beatles recently so i'm gonna go and tuck into that one i think little tuck, tuck in it, lovely Little, little, a little bit of a feed up on the old little, early Beatles. Little feed up on the old boy. <laughs> I love that, yeah. So, Mez, um, next category we're going to talk about is the love at first listens. So, um, this is when we've all had it. A song comes on the radio, or you sit down and you've got this new album, and you go, right, let's go. It could be from a band you don't know. It could be from a person you, you do know. And every single second of it is just bliss. You're like, oh, my God, this is this has changed music forever for me. This is just, you, you just remember those feelings and that you keep them with you for your dying days, you know? So oh, yeah. Mez, what is, what album for you is like a love at first listen? It's got to be, I mean, all of them I love obviously, but this, it's got to be Queen 2. Um, 11 tracks of just pure genius, in my opinion. Um, right from the beginning, as I've mentioned, so Procession, is a very complicated orchestral multi-harmonized guitar part. Um, it's only just over a minute. It introduces the album, and it's a it's one of those ones where they use that to come out live to during that tour. <clears throat> and um, in fact, for the tour after it as well, I do believe which is very, very cool. It stayed for, for that long. Uh, and then we get into Father to Son, which is just a, a pleasant tune. It, there's, there's a few changes in there which are kind of uh, non-diatonic. By non-diatonic, I mean they're taking chords that aren't necessarily in the same scale that they were in, um, and they're, pl they're placing them there. But Queen have always done it so well and I think that's got a lot to do with Freddie Mercury's ability to, to write melodies. Um, because as, as we all know, or as me and you know, Marv, if, 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 if the melody on top is reflecting uh, a journey and a change, but in a, in a good way, in a subtle way, it, it could turn out to be fantastic. Um, so yeah. father to son, it, um, yeah, it's just really pleasant. It's six minutes long. So it's on the longer side. It is, uh, I believe it's a Brian May. No, it's a Freddie Mercury composition. I got that wrong. Uh, and then after that, we get White Queen. Uh, now, this album, when it came out, it had a side white and a side black. And as I'm sure listeners are going, but you just said about March of the Black Queen. So side white has White Queen on it. Side black has March of the Black Queen on it. Uh, white Queen, I, I think it's actually... Mums, our dear Mags, I believe that's her, her favourite Queen song, or one of them, certainly. That's a Brian May composition. Maggie Ann. <laughs> Rock and roll star. Um, live and breathe. How are you, babes? <laughs> um, that, yeah, it's a Brian May composition. He wrote it when he was a teenager. 
and again, it's just it's just so well weaved. I think it's fantastic. It it has a real sort of somber overtone. It ends in a very similar way to how it starts. In fact, um, the first line. Or the last, yeah, the last line's kind of like, so sad, it ends as it began. Um, which is very, it's very invocative, I love that. Uh, next up, we've got Someday, One Day, which is just a- another pleasant Brian May song. I believe he sang that one as well. Then we've got The Loser in the End, written by Roger Taylor. A token Roger, Ma- Roger Taylor classic. Um, who is very underrated in his songwriting. Um, and in his drumming, in my opinion, I think he he always played exactly what was needed. Um, and you you get a lot of prowess, especially these days, where it's like, oh yeah, he's he's the best this and he's the best that. I think if no one's noticing necessarily what you're doing, I think you're doing just as good a job, if not better, than someone who is 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 a virtuoso at their instrument because you know, you're serving the song. Uh, and the loser in the end is it's a very Roger Taylor song. It's very sort of um, tongue in cheek in a way. It's got its charm. Yeah, it's just nice. And then we get to my favorite bit. Track six to 11 is pure perfection, in my opinion. We start off with Ogre Battle, the intro riff. It, it, it begins reversed. And then after a couple of rounds, we get the riff played forward which was a riff freddie wrote um he wasn't a very good guitarist but he could he could knock out the odd thing ogre battle's an epic song um about an ogre battle uh not a lot of people know is, this is yeah. it that's there you that, go. is that like trade secret there have you just it might you be rung yeah. up brian may and be like sorry mate i was chatting to you a lot about you know, on the podcast stuff I was <laughs> slagging you off and whatnot and uh, whatever but like is ogre battle about ogres and he was like I don't want to talk about it. Save the badges, but it is. <laughs> yes. Is it the badges or the foxes when he came and Both. did a speech at our uni? Both. He, he, originally, he originally started with foxes. He has now graduated to badgers, um, which is wonderful. Wonderful human being. But Ogre Battle, yeah, it's an epic tune. Um, see, uh, this is something I've been trying to get to you, Marv. To me, with Queen and with the Beatles, there are a lot of parallels um in the songwriting and in a lot of the production sort of techniques as well this is why i so desperately want you to get into queen um because i think you'll see what i mean either that or i just love both and i want them to be similar so yeah (laughs) but ogre battle yeah it's a big epic song starts off very sort of happy it's a major key and then there's like a bridge where it's kind of like um very sort of neutral, very rocky. And then the very end of the bridge, you get like a like a dramatic chord um, and a movement from there back into the re-intro. Fantastic. Amazing. And that the these last songs sort of fade into each other, if you saw what I mean. So they could all be one song. Um, so uh, don't put this album on shuffle. Uh, track seven, we've got the Fairy Feller's Master Stroke. Now, I don't know who a Fairy Feller is, unless he means fella, like a fairy. All right, fella, it's our Fairy Feller. You all right, kid? <laughs> I don't really know what he's uh, referencing there. That's a Freddie Mercury tr- tune. We'll get there in a minute, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 
And it's also a studio composition, complete studio composition. Uh, and there's so much in it, so many things. In fact, that was the track you sent me that was heavily auto-tuned live. Ah, okay, that 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 syncs it up then to the fairy fellas, yes. fairy fellow tellers master stroke. It's probably about golf, right? Master stroke, getting his getting his golf swing. Yeah, uh, it could be actually, right? yeah. For the kids, for the kids, for the kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's just again, I don't really know what it's about. But the 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 construction of the tune is is inspirational. Um, the way the vocals intertwine, the same sections with very subtle differences. What's a verse? What's a chorus? Who knows? Um, and I love that it all blends in. It all becomes one big ball. Um, then we have Freddie is classic for this. We have Nevermore, which is 1 minute 18 seconds. Now, Freddie was always seemingly able to just pull these really, really incredible short songs just out of thin air. And in actual fact... That's where Bohemian Rhapsody came from. The intro was a song that he had. The rock section was a song that he had. And the end section was also a song that he had. And he couldn't finish them, so he put them together. Wow. That's where Bohemian Rhapsody came from. Um, he, yeah, the operatic section he had other plans for, but he put it in that song. And Nevermore plays back into that. This is before Bohemian Rhapsody. Um about a year before, I think, a year or two before. But this is, uh, like I said, it's a it's a Freddie composition. It's just Freddie and piano, uh, and it eventually goes into. I think there's a guitar and a bass and drums and multiple vocal harmonies, and it's a really emotional tune for me. I don't know why. I don't know why. The last time I got proper smashed. I was stood in my kitchen crying to this song. <laughs> Honest to God, it, it's Go the on, weird, boy. it's the strangest thing, but I adore it. It's just, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. That says um, a lot though, doesn't it? So like, yeah. you know, I, I laughed at that moment and I'm not laughing to mock you or Screw because you. that was silly. Exactly. But that is generally amazing and lovely to hear like that music connects to you so much like so emotionally um which is i guess why this was love at first listen and the fact that music can do that to a person it can make you feel emotion it made you feel that overwhelmed with stuff you just kind of you like you had no option but to cry you know to release that emotion yeah i think that's great dude. i think it's great yeah and it you know it doesn't it doesn't connect to anything personally in my what me personally in my life um lads it's okay if you're crying over mr brightside we understand all right um i'm not but you can it's okay what if you're coming out your cage being just fine i've got to be down because i want it all start out with a kiss please stop me mate i'm just gonna keep on going okay so (laughs) yes never more it's in fact you get Three of these, in fact, we talked about this on Sheer Heart Attack. With um, it's the uh, I don't know if you saw them as individual tracks actually, but there's there's three tracks sort of on the first half, which are Tenement Funster, Flick of the Wrist, and Lily of the Valley, 
all three of them Freddie Mercury compositions. And they're all short and they all feed into each other. And that's that Freddie was just fantastic at doing that. Uh, especially in the early days. And yeah, I, I'm it's quite funny. I'm actually so glad that the rest of the band were just so okay with doing things like that because to think that we admit might have missed out on, on tunes to that calibre, that would break my heart. Um, then we've got my favourite, The March of the Black Queen. Now, this song's got everything. It's got absolutely everything. It starts off with just piano with a little guitar lead. Then it builds up a um, similar sort of theme. And then there's like a guitar chord movement, which takes it into like slightly more chilled. Then there's another build up into the main song, which goes on for a while. Then there's a drop where it's just Freddie and piano. Then it goes into the chorus and the rest of the song sort of plays out in that sort of capsule for a minute. And it goes on and on and on. There's like two or three Brian May solos, which I consider to be some of his most incredible work, um, melodic wise. And then it dips back down. There's a really like soft guitar part to go. I'm always talking about guitar parts, but there's a very soft guitar part going with it. And then there's an enormous, grandiose outro, and it encapsulates everything that Queen has in that era for me. And then all of a sudden, you've got Funny How Love Is, immediately. Again, like I said, all these tracks go together so well. Um, Funny How Love Is, 2 minutes 49, yet another really short Freddie Mercury composition. The only lyrics is Funny How Love Is, and that's what love is. Those Those are the only two lyrics. And it kind of changes key a couple of times, but tastefully. And then we've got the single, Seven Seas of Rye. Again, another one that makes me feel really emotional, and I have no idea why. I just adore it so much. I think it's absolute perfection. It's not even three minutes long. And the main reason why they wrote it like that, um, everything comes in in the first sort of 10, 20 seconds. And that's because on the first album with the first singles, the label listened to it and went, yeah, it's all right. But... um, Everything takes so long to get in. So they went, all right then, let's get it all in really quick. And it starts off with a quick piano riff. Um, And then you've got guitar, bass, drums in. And then before you know it, you're into the verse. What I love about this song, again, another amazing Brian May solo. In fact, I think he does the I... Does he do it on this? Yes. He does the Iomi thing of a couple of different guitar lines at once but they're not panned. It's slightly different to how Iomi does it, but it works incredibly well. So good. And again, it's almost like progressive because it's another bit of the journey. It's another bit of the song. And then finally we fade out to, I do like to be beside the seaside, the whole band singing it around a microphone. And that's so unapologetically queen for me. I remember you saying about how um, British sound in sheer heart attack is and, this is the album before Sheer Heart Attack. So you can you can hear it coming through. You can hear it coming through. And yeah, that's all I can give you. It's just incredible. I think it's I think it's an album that doesn't get enough mentions when we're talking about the top dogs in terms of albums. Um but I'm gonna I'm gonna think that that's my opinion. Um Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, that's 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 my run through of it. I, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. It encapsulates everything Queen is for me. 
and it's certainly one of the albums I'd want to listen to if it's like, right, you can listen to that, then you here's me gun, you're you're done for Shag. <laughs> you know, that's 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 where I'd where I'd my thoughts would be, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um can you remember the first time you listened to it? Like where you were or any sounds or any not sounds, but any the environment where you were or anything of that day? I think I was it's really hard to say, because um, the album I got into before this was Sheer Heart Attack. Um, and that album, I, I developed social anxiety when I got into that album. It sounds like I'm blaming the album. Um, I'm absolutely not. I, I developed it, and then I discovered Sheer Heart Attack, and that helped me through so many situations. Uh, going to and from Muni, plugs in Sheer Heart Attack on. That was... That was how I lived my life for a little while. Um, Queen 2 was slightly later. Um, I remember seeing Live at the Rainbow 74, which is the same year this was released. And I remember just thinking, like, these songs are amazing. Why haven't I delved into these before? And I think I just kind of listened to it when I was at home. There was no real occasion about it. I was just like, I'll go and listen to this now. And I bought the original press vinyl and... Yeah, I'm amazed it hasn't broken yet because the amount of playtime it's had, I just, ah, uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I can't go over it. That's great. It's great. Again, I think everyone has has albums like that, but when you find your own one that you kind of, like that almost sound organic to me. Like, I guess you're like my parents, listen to a lot of Queen, so I kind of grew up with it. Um, and it was just music that I just knew. It was just yeah, yeah. there. I didn't have to like search for it. But then to yeah, kind of organically go on your own and go, what's this? And you get it and you sit down and it's just all time kind of stands to you get like tunnel vision. You're just like, This is great. Nothing else, please. Like I could just go now. But that's amazing, dude. That's great. Yeah, I love it. My one is Peripheral Vision by Turnover. That is the Love at First Listen album. Um so again, this came out May fourth, twenty fifteen. Um I remember the first time I heard this, um, it was probably about 2017, I think was the first time I heard this. I had just come off of doing a month on a boat, doing doing the band, playing in a band for a month, playing people every evening. Um, that's You've five been on a cruise, sets. mate? I've been on a cruise, I have, mate. Have you? Nah, I didn't think so. But digging the eels in. Um, five 45-minute five, five sets we were doing every single night. Um, I've never played Valerie as much as I have then or I Kissed a Girl or all these kind of songs. But that was good. And again, um, such a great experience. Once you get over the kind of seasickness of the first couple of days, um, I still remember vividly lying <clears throat> lying down on the bench, waiting to go on, feeling really sick. And then I stood up and I did like a little mini sick in my mouth just before Yummy. I was to go and play. And I remember the first backing vocal part i had to do it was just dry it was just air nothing came out yumma 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 <laughs> break a leg break so... a leg <laughs> your scottish accent's way better thank you, you. More of the, more of the brah, brah. Brah. Um, <laughs> so i just come off of this ski season oh i've done it wrong again i've just come off of this cruise season doing a month You've been on a cruise, mate. <laughs> I've been on a cruise, mate. We're going to go around again. Fast forward that. So, oh, sauce puffs. 
What did you Got say? Him. I said Rasasapuffs. Rasasapuffs. It's it's like a it's a video online where this guy goes around the shop and says um says like the names on packages wrong and there's one that's oh, got yeah. Reese's pieces and he goes Rasasapuffs. That's great. Hey, how you doing, little mama? Let me whisper in your ear. <laughs> anyway, Marv, oh, you finished. You just come off the cruise. It. Let's go, baby. I just come off of the cruise. I remember drinking my first pint because I didn't. We weren't allowed to drink, um, so that was quite nice and refreshing, hoppy. And it may have been like a month after that, and it was like a long drive, um, and this album got popped in, and just from the first track, which is called "Cutting My Fingers Off." And it's uh, it had this kind of synthy texture bed underneath it, and then this guitar comes in. It's kind of like um, I would say fast picked, um, more like a singer songwritery picked kind of guitar rather than like a thrash metal kind of down picking thing, um, like a like a kind of interesting arpeggio. Kind of think my name is Jonas, but yeah. you're kind of you're kind of sticking on one note and playing some others rather than going through the whole chord okay um and it just hooked me i was in my brain was just like what is this the conversation that was happening just stopped and i was like what is this i remember it being quite rainy as well so it's quite like overcast out and this music just fit perfectly and each track just each track bang 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 like i just couldn't focus on anything else and we had it up loud and i was just like i remember that finish and i was like that was amazing I had no idea who the band were, what they looked like, anything about them. I didn't even know the album cover because you just had the CD in a booklet. And it was amazing. And from then I was just hooked. Um, I think I went to see them at the Slam Dunk Festival, which was, um, I think I seen them in 2017 at Slam Dunk because then this was before they released their next album. So they're at the end of their peripheral vision cycle and they started off as a pop punk band, a very, very generic paint by numbers pop punk band. Um, they did this album called Magnolia, which was like a, a fan favorite among them. And then they did this album, which is very much, it's very indie pop rock, like dream pop. Um, it's very much like a singer songwriter kind of uh, affair in terms of maybe the, definitely the progressions and things. A lot of uh, capos on the guitars and nice open chord voicings. Um, so yeah, it was really weird to see them who were like, they were very far away from pop punk at that time playing at a pop punk festival. And you could tell they kind of didn't really phone it in, but they were like, yeah, we, we know we're not really meant to be here. Like we kind of don't want to be here ourselves, but they still played well. And they played new scream and dizzy on the come down, which I absolutely love those songs. Dizzy on the come down is easily in my top 10 favorite songs of all time ever as well as this being in my top five albums. Um, so much so that on my new album, which will be coming out on Friday, the last track, um, definitely in the intro, I definitely try to rip this off. The way the guitar parts work, there's like a static kind of guitar part playing two notes, exactly the same. Um, I've definitely put that into to the one of my songs. It's called Brontide. Um, so get that Friday, get it Friday, get it Friday, get Free it now, play it now, play it now, play it now. Pre-save it. Trust me, there are some absolute stompers on there. I feature oh. on it twice, and those are probably the best moments in music history. But 
I'm not one to judge. You're one to judge. Go and listen there to you go. Me, and you're you not chickers. And you're not one to big yourself up, are you? You never big yourself up. No, 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 no. You've got to stay humble. got to stay humble, yeah. He knows it. Sit down. Um, yeah, so this, this album was just... It just completely... It, it helped me at a time where all I was doing was listening to older music or the same music. I was definitely in a uh, musical rut. I've just listened to the same thing over and over and over again. And I definitely do this a lot in my life where I just get addicted to one thing, one band, one bit of food, um, you know, type of clothing. And it's just that until something kind of knocks me out of it. And then I just get really bored and then I do something else or, or listen to something else. But this would be the album where, you know, when you're kind of, trying to think of things to put on like a Spotify playlist to then go for a walk, go to the shops or anything. Yeah. I would always put this on. If I had no idea what I wanted to listen to, this would be on there every single time. And I would never get bored of it. I'm still not bored of it now. I remember um, doing long drives back, like we said earlier about, you know, gigging and you're driving back at like four, half four in the morning. And, you know, I'd have about a 45, 50 minute drive and I would just put this album on. And I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have the cognitive thought to, to put on any more songs. I didn't want to waste any time because I knew that I didn't want to, you know, wait 10, 15 minutes or to do something because I'd start getting tired. Uh, I'm kind of jacked up on McDonald's black coffee. Shout out to McDonald's <laughs> black coffee, best in the world. And it, this would just play over and over and over. You know, I'd like listen to it one and a half times or I definitely listened to it twice in one sitting um, just without stopping and, it just gets better and better and better. And it was something, again, it was something about the simplicity of it. It was something about the um, mysticism around it. Like I didn't know who they were. And then I found out who they were. And especially that it came from a very, very pop punk sounding record to this. That was had its big appeal. I definitely got into other bands like, um, oh, that's a good time to forget their names. Pine Grove, a lot of that pitch, not pitchfork. Um, is it Audio Tree? Not that audio tree kind of um, crowd. Um, but yeah, I definitely went to Pine Grove through listening to this. That was great. Um, and those kind of bands in that era. And just, just, oh, it was just great. It was just great. Um, I've seen these, seen Turnover twice more since that time of Slam Dunk. And they're much better. Once was at the Fleece when they released the album after this, Supernatural. And once was at the, it might be called the Anson Showrooms. It's at the top of the triangle in Bristol, Mez. It's in a uni place. Yeah, I think I know the one you mean. I think I know the one you mean. Yeah, and that was when they released their latest album all together. And that was interesting too. I like that. Um, so I've basically seen them when they've released albums on the days. Um, always been great. Always been great. And yeah, it was something about the guitar part. So, you know, I, I definitely went through a phase of trying to be as complex as possible and tried to shy away from being simple because I thought simple was bad, simple was weak, or simple was, you know, you can do better than that. Why would you want to just play the cowboy kind of chords? Like we said about the Beatles thing with the open guitar chords and, um, you know, oh, if that line's just, you know, you're just picking notes, why don't you just try and add some vibrato, some technique, or try and fit some more stuff in there? Um, which, you know, probably comes from a place of um, not a low self-esteem, but my confidence as a guitar player, where I know that I'm a good guitar player, but maybe I, I worry too much of like, well, I want to be really good at shredding. I want to be good at these things and this thing that I know I'm not good at. Yet I then don't have an application for it because I'm not in bands that need that or my music doesn't need that kind of, you know, I don't need to learn how to play 16th note triplets at 240 BPM with three note per string kind of things. But at the same time, I know that that would be a good skill to have 
to be able to play these things um, and just have in the bag. But one day, maybe one day, maybe. But this I'm definitely in terms of my songwriting, in terms of guitar parts that were maybe two or three at a time and needed to work. This was perfect. I'd listen to something like uh, Diazepam, where it's just the open notes. It's the open notes D, G and B on the guitar. Uh, with a simple like kind of a slidey note and then it would have the in the right speaker would be like a really nice angular kind of pattern and then the the the, the vocal melody itself sounds very much like another guitar melody but it was it seems like it was composed on the guitar the way they all work and mesh is just amazing the tones and it really was just like a game changer for me it was going yeah okay i want to incorporate this that's what i've been trying to get at and eventually maybe now on um the album that i'm going to release friday maybe there's a lot more elements of turnover now that are coming into my music and i i fully appreciate it's because of this album because of this album um so you know not as much as like from my playing perspective um as something like hard day's night but just from a love at first listen just it, it's very rare and few very rare and far between yeah that's the one very rare and few in between pinkerton which is my favorite album of all time didn't do that on the first listen it took me a good three four listens to really remember it and to like it as much as i did um so it was very much a shock for me to just go wow this is great everything is great and at that time it was like two years old so even then i was like well that's even uncharted territory for me because usually i go back and the whole history has been written for the bands and artists that i like um i'll just you know someone like intrapersonal um just that guitar pattern that riff there um so very very nice um i'd maybe equate it to you like it's it's almost what i think what johnny marr from the smiths did for guitar playing and how it his was a bit more complex i would say but he stripped the technique back to a more simpler kind of way that was instead of all this glam metal and thrash that's coming in but the same you go back and try and play it and it's quite deceptively tricky and hard and you know, our friend James Dore, who's very good at that. He's very well versed in playing like Johnny Martin, all these kind of intricate kind of uh, parts. Um, and he likes turnover as well. I'm pretty sure I've had a good conversation with him. We've watched videos for hours on end and I can't wait to do that again. So I really need to hook up with him when we can and we can just sit and watch turnover videos and everything together. It'd be amazing. Shout out to the Doiler. 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 But yes, uh. I... <laughs> savior of back guitar like that i like that i was wait. i was gonna cut you up but i thought nah i'll leave him i'll leave let him that today. happen let that happen so yeah i i would i would think you would like this album another good thing that i like about it as well is that it has the i bought a um electro harmonic super ego pedal um and i tried using it at uni we wrote i remember we wrote a song in my room um for like for a not for a lecture but like for a a class and i was playing on that and then when i heard this i was like oh they're using that that pedal and that pedal been sitting in my in my bags for a good year or two at that point because i was just i don't know how to use it but they use this on a whole album every track opens with a swell of that chord on that synth pedal so basically you play the chord on the guitar you hold the the button down and it, it imitates a synth pad um kind of like brian may did but with the guitar yeah and they had to he had to say like no synth this time so they were kind of doing this and 
I, I loved it. It just puts you in that mood. It ties all the songs together. And I want to go listen to it now. I'm probably, I'm going to go up the shop after this and get some, get some essentials. Get um, some bits and bobs. Get some bits and bobs. You know, just potter around, whatever, wear my mask and that. But I'm going to put this album on. And I just takes me for every time. I was like, I, I fall for it every time, you know. I know exactly what's coming up. And I still let myself go down with it. Um, I can't, I can't go on about it enough. Listen to this. Then go listen to the next one, Good Nature. And then you can listen to it all together. I feel all together is not their strongest, most cohesive work. Um, but just get into the land of turnover. It's great. It's great. And I'm going to stop um, going to stop bigging it up. I'm going to stop going on, 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 <laughs> on about Because I could go on forever. It could be the Peripheral Vision podcast. So yes, we talked about our top five. And now we'll talk with Hashtag. Start again. Start again, sonny boy. We're now going to talk about the most recent albums that we've listened to that, you know, we view as ones we love that aren't in this top five category we've already discussed. Um, it's similar to the Love at First Listen, but we're going to talk about ones that we've just found out. And again, it it then goes into a different conversation, which we could have. I could, I'm going to pose this to you now, but we'll probably talk about it on another podcast because it'll be a good episode. How long does an album have to be out for it to be considered a classic like a stone cold steve austin king of the ring classic um do you think it's time that has to be the only factor and do you think that if we take someone like adele 21 now that came out and it was absolutely monumentally huge broke so many records had amazing songs on it um got overplayed to the point where you can't even stand rolling in the deep let alone play it um I would say it's an absolute classic now. I would say it was an absolute classic then, even with no time really going past. Yeah, I agree so, with you. Yeah. To not try and put too much words in, too many words in your mouth, what do you think is the criteria or what constitutes... When can you call a classic album a classic album, James Merritt? I think it entirely depends upon what you define as a classic album, as everything you've just said. I think it could be classic from the minute the engineer stops recording. I also think it could be a classic after 50 years. I I I, I don't really think it necessarily matters. You know, you know a classic when you hear it. You you just know it and that reflects it. Appetite for destruction. Um Welcome to the Jungle was played on MTV at four o'clock in the morning. Um because they were like, ah, people probably won't enjoy this. And it went off. Um, as as we know, and as they say, the rest is history. But I, I think a classic is a classic as soon as it's formed. You know what I mean? It's, there's no, I don't think there's any sort of way you can equate it. Oh, that's been out 20 years. Like, there's, there's a thing in the uh, guitar community, which is if the guitar is over 20 years old, it's classed as a vintage guitar. I don't think you can use the same parameters, especially not with a piece of music. Um, I think yeah, you, I agree. I, I think agree. you can hear a classic without knowing it's a classic. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's the same with a lot of things. Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't received well when it was first released. Um, no one would play it because it's like six, seven minutes long. But Look at Led Zeppelin. 
Yeah, there oh, you go. They're just they're just a cream wannabe or a Black Sabbath wannabe. Exactly, but exactly. Absolutely classic albums and classic music. Yeah. So, again, that just defies logic that even if something that doesn't come out and this isn't received critically at the time or even commercially, then it then it can become a classic album. Of course, and it there's can. Def- yeah. There's there's so many other ways to do it, but you know, for something that comes out for something that comes out this year, right? And you listen to it and you're like, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Would you call it a classic then? That's a good point, actually. I don't think I would, you know, because that's a different sort of parameter, isn't it? Um, I wouldn't call it a classic, but obviously in 10, 20 years, I probably would call it a classic. It's hard to say. Um, recently, as we've discussed, Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars have teamed up to form Silk Sonic. They've released only one track. I am eagerly anticipating the album. The track is called Leave the Door Open. I think that's a classic. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I think it's brilliant. It's great. Um, and I think that's a classic, to be honest with you. Uh, but it would be quite weird for me in conversation when we get back to the back, because I know our drummer's going to be absolutely pumping it, if he isn't already. He's going to be pumped, yeah. I, it, it's it such a so it's much. such a song that he'd enjoy. I know that for a fact. Um, yeah. But if I went, if he went, Mez, do you like this? And I went, yeah, it's a real classic. He'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, it's it's a strange strange territory in which you're trying yeah. to put upon me, Martino. Definitely. I'll give you one more then. So, would you consider, um. 24 karat magic album to be a classic now i say this in the fact that when we play function gigs which are a lot which are all cover songs playing at bars playing at weddings private functions hire us now go for it love it um we have we obviously have to build our repertoire so we have to go through um songs that we know and think you know okay does everybody know this song is it fun to play that's probably last is it fun to play because that everything else has to trumpet Will it get a certain reaction? Is it a dancey one? Is it a slow one? Is it a Motowny one? Um, can it do the job that we want to do? Now, I feel like we have to then pick the cream of the crop of certain songs from certain artists um, for them to work. Something like Respect by Aretha Franklin, that hits a lot of good points. It's dancey, it's, it's Motown, um, or it could be Stacks. Um, little joke there but hey fair enough he's Stacks. laughing he's laughing Stacks. um it hits a lot of points and it's one of Aretha franklin's best known tunes even though i believe it's a cover so it's reading song originally i would say it's a stone cold classic um i want to dance with somebody stone cold classic all these songs work 24 karat magic when that came out it was huge we started playing it when it came out and it would go off everyone would lose their mind to it it would guarantee to get people up to dance. It would keep them dancing. They'd be singing every word. We'd have a lot of fun playing it. But now it's been six years, I believe. Probably something like five to six years since it came out. 2016, 2017. Um, do, do you consider that a classic, Mez? Do 16, you consider 24 Karat Magic? Do you cons- yeah, exactly, five years. So do you consider now, it's been five years, that was huge. It's got like over a billion views on YouTube. It's his signatures, one of his signature songs, top three signature songs. Do you consider that album a classic? If yes, why? If no, why? Yes, B. 
because it is. You know a classic when you hear it. Um, no, everything about it, everything about everything on that album. I didn't even need to listen to it at home because we were jamming it in the band so hard, in the van, everywhere, all the time. Um, and I love that. What I don't love is the fact that on his top five popular list on Spotify, there is only one song from that album. Can you guess what it is, Marv? I want to say it's 24 Karat Magic, but I'm going to go with Finesse. Wrong, wrong. It's That's What I Like. Oh, see, I love that song. I think it's better than 24 Karat Magic in terms from, from a musical standpoint. Yeah. But yeah, interesting, interesting. It is, it is better, absolutely, but it's... It's not what I expected to see there. Um, it's great to see Leave the Door open on the very top, to be honest with you. Um, very, very good. Yeah, I I just think it, everything about it, the way he's taken all of the, like, soul and funk from the, like, 70s and 80s, and you've got, like, the, the synth patterns and the, 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 like, synth bass parts, and I just love how it's all melded together. I also love the fact that he... He plays it live superfluously. He he does a cracking job. Um, yeah, Bruno, come down to Bristol for a coffee. Let's chat about this. You're not a silly goose. I am, if anyone is. So, <laughs> what about what about you, love Marv? That, love that. What about you? Do you do you think Twenty Four Karat Magic is a classic? As a classic album, I think it's very hard. I think maybe. If I look at it, because that's a pop album, right? And it's definitely in nostalgia, that album, much like how Bruno Mars um, is doing with the Silk Sonic stuff. Anderson Pack, to a degree, has a bit of nostalgia, but I think he's more current in his sonics and the way he sounds musically. So I think in Bruno Mars' discography, I would call it a classic. It's definitely in his classic run. I think it's better than the two albums that he did before. Absolutely. I think he's hit his stride there. He's hit his niche. He's hit his USP. But I, I'm i not too sure if I'd call it a classic. I do think it's a great album. I think it's stellar. Um, the only dud maybe is the last track, um, which I could easily leave. I think it's very hard. Again, I something like Adele 21, I would call that a classic now. But that's been nearly 10 years, nearly 10 years um, at this point. I I just think it's it's so subjective, isn't it? I think time really yeah. is the biggest factor and you're not going to know now. You can, it's easier when you're listening to, you know, I show you Biggie, ready to die. You're hooked. You know, it's a classic. You've got from 1994 onwards, for whenever you latch on to hear that album you know it's a classic so um it's almost like you want to it needs to go past all these like checklists it's like right when it comes out does it have a massive single yep did it break any records yep or was it very very popular yes did the critics like it yes then you go right what is it like a year from now um was there any what's the second single like um did it hit any kind of internet youtube milestones what's it like five years from now what's their next record how does it stack up to their next record um because that that will definitely help in its favor so i think that helps but to contradict like we said about led zeppelin they were getting hounded by the press oh just a second rate cream oh not nothing worth i think four 
Led Zeppelin 4 got like a one one or two line review. And that's got Stairway to Heaven on it. That's got Stairway to Heaven on it. And Black Dog and Rock and Roll. And it got a one or two line review. And you just think, absolute madness. If a, if, if a band did those songs now, unbelievable. Unbelievable praise. It would be a mind, it would be a game changer of the highest degree. So, uh, in a way, an unsatisfying yes or no. I would say there is a classic album in terms of his work, um, but I wouldn't say it's a classic album if I view it as the whole of music, the whole scope of popular music. I wouldn't put it in there. I don't think it would be in the top 100 best albums of all time. Um, sad to say. Sorry, Bruno. Um, you can come down and have an almond latte with me. And I won't be using any silly gooses of any nature. But if you want to convince me that your album is like in the top 100, go for it. If not, that sounds really boring to you. Go over to Mez. Go over to Mez. Have a nice strong hard coffee. Talk we'll about you just silly goose. We'll, we'll talk, talk about, about me being a silly goose. Oh, we, we will be That's doing that. We will be doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Anyways, yes. Mez. So yes. um, if you've got like a, a recent album which you adore and you love and... Maybe you think in time that might be a classic. <laughs> That's hard to equate. Um, I don't have anything that I think would be a classic necessarily. I I do have ones that have been released more recently than the ones in my list that I think are fantastic. Um, Zealand Ardor, Devil is Fine. I love that album. I think it's it's brilliant. The way the guy encapsulates... Um, a mix of classic American slavery sort of songs with black metal. Um, it's two different ends of the food chain, and he pulls it off so well. Um, and it's also dotted with little instrumentals, which are brilliant, fantastic. Um, the guy seems really humble as well, which always always makes the difference. Um but yes, yeah, so I I was very impressed with that album. I highly recommend people go and check it out because it's grand. <laughs> um, but in terms of like stuff, recent stuff that's been released, uh, it's hard for me because I I do dip into like what's popular now and what's not. Um, but it's I don't know. I tend to circle back into what I love. Um, I've been listening. I, I always try and listen to a lot of eclectic stuff. Um, sorry, I said that wrong. I don't try and listen to it. I just tend to end up doing it. So my on-repeat list on Spotify goes from UFO to Monty Python songs to pa- <laughs> yeah to Pantera, to the Beatles, to Limp Bizkit, Black Sabbath, and then we've got Take That. Um, wow. And then we've got Supertramp. Which again, Breakfast in America. Go and listen to it; it's amazing. Um, that was another one where I was thinking, "Where's that yeah, album in your list?" But again, it's a weird one for me um, because the first sort of five or six tracks on that I think are amazing, but the second half, I I don't really know that well. I need to give a proper, I need to give some time to. Um, George Benson always floats in and out of my on repeat lists. Um, yeah, Biggie. Even a Lindisfarne song is in this on repeat. Um, I I know nothing about them. I I don't know any albums. Um, 
A tune I really like, though, is called Meet Me on the Corner. It's a really nice tune. Lovely tune. On the top of the list, Marv, is this... Um... Actually, no, it's not. On the top of the list is uh, Lil' Kim. Uh, you already know what's on that. And, uh, I know what that is. The second, the second one down is... Uh... Oh, this douchebag. He's just releasing music. And he's a bit crap, but he's all right. Um, it's a guy called Afroloon. It is my counterpart in this podcast. Uh, you don't listen to that, do you? It's a song called Arenda. Uh, it's uh, the single for the album coming up. I'm giving you a plug. I seriously recommend you go and check this out. If you like instrumental music, if you don't, if you like rock, pop, hip-hop, anything, go and listen to this album because I, I think it's something special. Uh, it's a labor of love, and it's really cool. It's really cool. So have that. It's out Friday. Have that. Yeah. Have that in your chuff, yeah? That's what I say. Other than that, 24 Karat Magic's probably probably the other one that I really, really enjoy. Um, along with um, one that I need to listen to more, undoubtedly. One of the one of the uh one of the tunes I am very familiar with. Um I need to go and listen to Beer Bongs and Bentleys, I think, Marv. You really, really do. I think I need um, to go and listen to that. It's I, I remember chat again, our drummer Robbie. Uh, shout out to the Robbie K, um, who loves a bit of Post Malone himself. K-E-S-S-E-L-L. I remember listening to Stoney and not being that impressed, and there was a couple of good tunes, and that was it. And there was a feeling of like, is he corny? Is he actually good? No one... It's a bit strange, and he was really, really popular. And then Beer Bongs and Bentleys come out, and it's just a pop masterpiece. It really, really is very, very well written and well, very, very catchy. And I think, like Robbie said, like every vocal line is a hook all the way through. Um, and it's just got, oh, it's got rock star, it's got over now, it's got psycho, it's got oh, spoil my night. It has got tunes for days. So merit, please. I think that is your task for next week. Go listen to Beer Bongs and Bentleys by Post Malone. I think you're gonna like it. I think I That'll think you're be right. A recent banger. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, absolutely. And I want you to seriously go and listen to Zeal on our door. Devil is fine if you haven't already. I will. I will. I'll give it a little listen. That was really. That was really funny. Just like oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll give it. A, I'll give uh, it. A yeah. Go, mate. Okay. Uh, Sorry. Uh, that. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Anyway. Um, oh, that is that is vulgar. Anyway, so my pick for an album that I found recently and I deem it to be so great. And um it doesn't doesn't peak at my top five or top ten, but oh it's very good and I just I just can't get enough of it. Uh it's I Don't Feel Well by Plural One. Now that's the pseudonym of Josh Klingoffer, who most notably was in the Chili Peppers from two thousand and nine to about 2019 good 10 year run did two records with them um which was i'm with you and the getaway he did like a b-sides album which was there's a lot of tracks on there um he goes like a half album but he is like a very very talented multi-instrumentalist um he's been on he's been in a lot of bands his thing was from you know a young age 17 18 all the way up to when he joined chili peppers about 2009 he was just in so many bands as like the the uh not a go-to musician but he was just there and he could play a lot of stuff so 
He was in Niles Barkley. He was in PJ Harvey. He was in Sparks. He was in Beck's band. Like he's been in a lot of these kind of biggish bands and he he played crazy for the first time. He played crazy by Niles Barkley for the first time ever live in Scotland, I think in Tear the Part. And we all know how huge that song was. Absolutely. Yeah. They had to take it off, I think, the shelves because it was kept selling. Um, so that's kind of a cool feat to be like, yeah, I was I was part of the band who played crazy for the first time to an audience. Um, yeah, and he's done albums with John Fashanti as well, who's now the current Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist again for his third stint. Um, he, so Josh, uh, he started off on guitar, I think, and then moved to drums, but he did an album um, called To Be One With You, and it came out 2019, so it came out three weeks before he, he got kicked out of the Chili Peppers. So it's kind of got like a somber feel to it. Um, I didn't necessarily connect to that whole album. I I couldn't remember all the songs that well. Um, I really liked the track Overflowing. I liked Rap Basses at Every Turn. I thought that was a very, very solid song. Um, maybe just the first, yeah, like the first three to four songs. Barreling, Rap Basses at Every Turn, Save was never there. Um, I really liked them. And then it started to kind of get a bit kind of mushy and I couldn't distinguish them from one another. Um, but I was still excited because I really liked Overflowing, which was a bonus track. And I just I just wanted to hear what he's going to do next. And he followed that up. Uh, it got released October 16th, 2020. Um, so it's only been out for, let's try and do maths now. Uh, November. December, January, February, March. Maybe not even, just over five months. You know, uh, it came out in the pandemic and... He said he wrote he wrote this all during this time. This was the first time in a very long while that he could actually sit down and write songs at the same time and then release them, record them. Um, he was out of the Chili Peppers at this point, and you know, probably not feeling great about himself the way it was done, and just having all those insecurities and you know, starting again fresh. Um, but I remember hearing the song "The Night Won't Scare Me." And it was the first thing. It just popped up randomly. And I remember being in bed, I tapped it on and I laid back and closed my eyes. I had headphones on, the same ones I'm wearing now. And I just wasn't prepared for it. And it was great. It knocked my socks off. I wasn't even wearing socks. What I did was is it, it put my socks back on my feet and then knocked them straight back off again. And I was just like, you, you cheeky little devil. Yeah. Um, it was just amazing. It was so good. Um, it was five and a half minutes long, which on paper seems a bit long, but the fact that I couldn't, I couldn't grab the structure of the song. Um, I think even like the first, maybe 10, 11 listens of it. I remember for the next like week solid, I would play it on repeat, repeat, repeat before I go to bed. I just couldn't grasp what would come next. And that was exciting to me, um, rather than distracting. And it had such, it had such a satisfying, um, end chorus and the chords on the piano are very very nice the synths that were buzzing in and around the solos are really really cool um i could hear his lyrics and understand them a lot more and oh, it was just amazing it was just so good especially as you know i was i was writing my first album blank tales at that time and oh no it already been out sorry and i was trying to write this this second one coming up um, out friday out friday out friday get it now and I just remember listening to be like, this is this is like the rock version of what I'm trying to go for. And it was just really, 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 really hit me. And 
it made me realize how great of a musician he was. I knew he was a good musician and a great musician, but this really kind of perked it up. Um, it's got Jack Irons on drums, who was the original Chili Peppers drummer. It's a bit of a weird kind of like full song. Kind of cool, that, yeah. And it was originally going to be a Chili Peppers song. So he had this song and the song called The Report, which he had written while in the Chili Peppers. He said he'd recorded uh, the music to a, to a follow-up Chili Peppers record that he'd done from The Getaway, but that will never see the light of day. He said there were lyrics, but they weren't recorded. Um, so this is kind of like, and he said he's, he's played these songs in front of Flea, in front of all them lot to you know as like a you know maybe we should work on these so it's almost like a weird thing of this is what the chili peppers could have gone in the direction of and on the report you can hear it more because it has the uh what i call the trademark for shanty like tenths style of playing which on another podcast they said um was octaves that the previous guitarist introduced to him and i almost screamed at my steering wheel <laughs> um Scream might be an overreaction. I definitely was like, what? It's not right. And just, you know. What's it like? Whatever. I'm 30. It's like, break our leg. Um, so, yeah, hearing the report, and it's very radio heady, and it's got the um, guitar style where, again, Dropper Shanty uses this a lot. You play the root note of a chord, and you play the happy or sad note, which is the major or minor third. Um, you play an octave away, essentially, from the root note. And it has a nice space to it. And it just, you know, for songs like Scar Tissue, Scar Tissue by the Chili Peppers is a very good indication of this. Um, so the report has that. I really, really like it. It's got these um, electronic drum programs going through it. But, oh, it just, this whole album. Um, it wasn't a love at first listen. Um, it definitely suffered maybe from the same problems towards the end, maybe from track seven, Knowing You, to uh, Don't Have To, so seven, eight, and nine, where I had to listen to them a little bit more to um understand them and and separate them from each other but the the variation on this album is great mother nature's got such a nice kind of it's almost like an oasis um kind of chord progression kind of a 70s rock a really really nice solo um very liberating it's you know has themes about red don't feel which is the first track is is kind of about trump it's kind of uh in that vein and it's you know He's just trying to talk about his pandemic feelings. Um, it's maybe a pandemic album, um, but I was just blown away. And it was what I needed. It was what I needed at that time. And I remember showing it. I was um, helping out on an album, actually, at this time. Um, and I remember showing it to the engineer. I got there early before the other people turned up. And I was like, I just, I was like, yeah, I, like, I can't get this song out of my head. It's so good. And I play it to him and he really liked it as well. And I, I, had to resist the urge to be like wait for this part wait for this part but this bit did this bit and i remember at the time as well that i i still couldn't get the structure right i still couldn't follow how the song went um and that was a good maybe two weeks after it came out um so oh, it's just so so good so good so for me um for my personal uh, classic albums i can see this one going in i can put it in my own hall of fame I think it's really that good. Um, it's really emotive. I like the uh, artwork as well. It's just someone holding up a balloon and the balloon's got the kind of tie-dye-esque feeling of it uh, that looks like a face and it's kind of to the side. I think it's really good. And I might go buy it on vinyl. I might I might go ahead instead of streaming it all the time. I might buy a physical copy of it. I think it's that good, which sounds weird now. 
because I used to just go buy CDs and buy vinyls all the time. But to be like, you know what? I'm going to buy a physical copy of that and spend hard-earned cash. Let's go for it. Uh, do you get that kind of feeling? Where you kind of you push you push something up to that upper echelon and yeah. actually get a physical yeah, yeah, copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's an event now. So, yeah, I would say go check that out. Uh, I'll maybe put it in the playlist. In fact, I will. Um, I'm going to put in the night won't scare me and probably the report. Um, I think it's great. I think it's great. Give it a listen. You might be disappointed, but to be honest, I don't care. Screw you all. It's my show. My rules. I do whatever I want, whenever I want, and you can all be silly gooses, James. And that's episode seven. So <laughs> that's episode seven. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed listening. I want to thank everyone on our Patreon. I want to thank all of our families for being supportive. I want to thank everyone for listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, whatever you call it. I want to thank everyone very much, and um, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Sounds like I'm sounds like I'm quitting. Uh, I will never yeah, quit. Yeah, I, I was got a little scared then. I will never ever quit. I am here until I die. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah. Thank- um, I I I sincerely yeah. We really really thank you a lot. It's nice to see when we put an episode out, and you know we get check check into the numbers of things and you know they're they're relatively small and i quite like it at the minute and it's just even nice you know it's even nice it's quite intimate people... yeah it feels intimate it's nice to know that people just listen and again to our patrons who are sam luke ollie john jack and Ashin. all legends whose episode whose episode will be coming up shortly be coming up yes. quite soon yes um, i'm looking forward to a very good conversation with him so we can't wait to look forward to that um Thank you so much for, you know, giving us giving us three pound a month really and supporting us. Um listen to the uncut episodes and yep, if you want to join them, www.patreon.com forward slash fifty ways podcast. That's five O ways podcast. Three pound a month. You're getting a full uncut podcast every single week. So that's that's four a month. Um for the price of, you know, I don't know, thirty Freddos. A coffee. Something like that. A small coffee. Maybe with a shot of something if it's free, maybe with Tempe. Maybe, um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, hit us up on Facebook, hit hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, all those things. We just want to hear your opinions. So listen to our playlist as well. We put in all of the uh put in some songs from the albums, usually bad albums, or we deem that are, uh, are bad due to the usual episodes. This one's a different one, it's kind of a kind of a more positive end of the spectrum. Um and yes, DM us tell us albums to listen to give us things um we really want to start up a kind of letters section um and say hey this person said about this or talked about this um so please go comment please go bother us all the links will be down below and should we have some music to go out to as well we usually do that don't we can do yeah what you're saying should i do another should i do another one of mine because you know i've got my album coming out soon yeah um you know what I'm going to probably go with, because I've already done two already. Um, well, I'm going to go with, oh, oh, I'm probably going to go with the one that you're on. I'm going to go with the crazier. The only one? Uh, what this have you, one. you cut the other one, have you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you are another one as well. I was, I was thinking of something else. So this one uh, has some spoken word by Lovely. yours truly. 
me doing yes. some spoken word. Eh? Only me. Only lyric. Only me. And the lyrics are written by my good friend Clarice. Um, she's a very, very good poet. And I don't know if she's got any socials to plug, but I'm going to let her know that the songs are coming out. She wrote some very nice lyrics for me um, just to speak over. And Merritt plays a guitar solo, gets his... Uh, being compared to uh, Slash. Someone was like, oh, it sounds well, like Slash. Well, you get compared around, to the greats, right? but in essence, I came after him. So <laughs> we'll see how that plays out, Saul. <laughs> you and me in, in Bristol for a coffee. Shred battle. No coffee. Lo- oh, losers are silly goose. So yes, um, Crazier, there will definitely be a lyric video coming out for that. I hope you enjoy it. hope you enjoy the shredding from old Mezboy. And... We'll be back next week. Um, Keep rocking. Yeah, we'll decide. We'll decide what episode we want to do. We can't bother tell you now. We will. We will. And um, yeah, take it steady.
have both feet firmly planted in the polar opposites. To excel only when we find a way to straddle the line 